I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It's Thursday, which means it's time for our weekly listener mail segment. And uh, we're going some strange places uh, today, uh, we are so glad that you're joining us on this journey, this sojourn into stories from the best part of the show, your fellow listeners. But before we get started, guys, there was something I, I needed to uh, reiterate off air, but I wanted to ask you all about it just while we're rolling and uh, for all our listeners as well. I think I mentioned before, I finally, they found me. I got jury duty. Did I tell you guys that? Oh, no. Mm -hmm. You actually got it? Not yet. The audition is tomorrow. I don't know if I'm <laughs> supposed to call it an audition. Got it. Yeah, I uh, I had one not too long ago, and I you know was just assured you, no one ever gets picked. I mean, obviously, some people get picked. Um, but I totally got picked. And I actually kind of, I think I swayed the jury. I think I swayed the jury. I, I kind of felt like I did my civic duty. And please don't ask me to do it again for another, like, five years. But, Ben, Godspeed, sir. And I hope you don't get picked. I'm into it. I like, you know, I like the validation. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you, you get picked for jury duty. You're a peer officially. 
It's totally appropriate for the show. I actually, you know, they always ask, how do you get out of jury duty? And you definitely don't want to be caught trying to get out of jury duty because that's totally illegal. Um, But I answered a question very bluntly. They ask you these jury questions and it was something like, do you think you could be, you know, completely um, objective about a case? And I said something to the effect of, well, I do a lot of conspiracy podcast stuff and a lot of true crime. And I kind of feel like the government and, you know, lawyers are all inherently corrupt. And I just don't feel as though I could be completely objective. And uh, it, it sounds like they picked me because of that. Because they, they chose I had, you for that. They chose me for that. Hmm. It was yeah. very strange. Because, yeah. you know, they want honest answers. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, we'll get to the show, but real quick, I know a lot of us listening today are possibly screaming at their phones. Ben, tell them you believe in jury nullification. It's a real thing, but the I issue with, the issue with that is if you come in, uh, if you come in too hot on jury selection and they know you're like pranking them or something, they do not respond well. Um, so I will, I will see if I can be our man on the inside of the justice system, but also Matt Noel, the reason I'm bringing this up today is because it makes me think that we are long overdue for an episode on trial by jury. It's got a lot of problems here in the U S that's great. Yeah. That, it becomes one of the primary focuses in a lot of true crime content exactly how a trial by jury functions, what the problems are, and, well, sometimes potential ways to fix it. But uh, it, it's it's a complicated issue and something I'd love to delve into deeper with you guys. Yeah, let's absolutely do that. But before we do, or as we're planning that, we'd love to hear your stories about jury duty uh, going well, going wrong, your thoughts. Uh, You know, we do have legal professionals in the audience today as well. So let us know, conspiracy.iheartradio.com. You can also call us 1-833-STDWYTK. Today, we are going to uh, hear from uh, some people who have had their own personal experiences, not with jury duty, but with things they cannot necessarily explain. We're going to visit folklore, philosophy, veterinary science. Uh, and it just that felt right. We're not actually <laughs> going to do that part. But and then we're going to visit controversial medicine. So, Matt, what do you say? Uh, what do you say we begin with this really interesting story that uh, that you hipped us to? Yes, Ben, we are heading over to a message from Rennell. Here we go. Rennell says, hi, guys and lady. Shout out to Doc Holiday over there. I came across your podcast last year in the early days of work from home boredom and was immediately hooked. I've always been interested in unexplained and weird events, but stayed away from the outlandish theories, so thank you for continuing to create fascinating content in a thoughtful and entertaining manner. It's very sweet. I have a story that I've been debating sending to you that happened to me a few years ago. My grandparents used to own property on a lake off the Gunflint Trail in northern Minnesota, where I spent a considerable amount of my summers as a kid. There's no cell phone service, and it's not unusual to go days without seeing another person, even out on the lake. The cabin had an upper-level sunroom and deck overlooking the woods down to the lake. This is very important for the rest of the story. Upper-level sunroom and a deck overlooking the woods down to the lake. My grandpa used to sit out on the deck at night and would tell us stories about the glowing fairies that he used to see while he was out there. He later told us he had occasionally seen them pass through the windows and into the cabin. 
We mostly attributed this to the whiskey sodas he would drink out on the deck in the evenings. <laughs> That's kind of funny, Rennell. Grandpa enjoyed his whiskey, but Rennell continues here. My grandpa unfortunately passed away in early 2016, and I went to visit him one last time in July 2016 with my mom and my grandma before she put the cabin up for sale. It was the night of July 3rd, and my grandma had already gone to sleep. The evening was clear. There were no electrical storms that night or in the forecast. My mom and I were in the sunroom. Remember, that's the upstairs sunroom area. We had turned off all the lights except for one over the sink in the, the adjacent kitchen. When we started to see what appeared to be fireflies at the tree line outside. Now, this is a ellipsis here. I have never seen fireflies up there before or after. The greenish white lights started to pulse in time with each other, speeding up. And then suddenly they all went dark and a roughly grapefruit sized sphere lit up near the ground. It hovered for a short period, moving slowly upwards. Then it started to gain speed and quickly moved up to the level of the deck, and then it flew very fast over the roof and was gone. Whoa, right? That was me, by the way. Whoa. Between first seeing the sphere light up and it being gone was maybe only five seconds or so, and shortly after it disappeared, the light above the sink dimmed briefly. Okay, I, there's a little bit more to this email. I kind of want to save it for a second as we discuss some of this. What does that sound like to you guys? Some firefly-looking lights down by the lake, uh, you know, viewing it from a higher above angle, then all of a sudden those lights going away in a larger sphere light uh, it, being illuminated and then rising up and over the roof. What do you guys think? Could be any number of things at this yeah. point. Will of the Wisp, perhaps. Okay, remember those. Okay, uh, I got you. I, yeah, All right, I, I, I'm not um, sure. certainly uh, opportunities for optical illusions in that situation, but could be something more, especially with the water. Agreed. The water makes a big difference right there because uh, of possible reflections, possible all kinds of other optical illusions that could be happening. But there's also something in there about uh, ball lightning, which is a really weird phenomena that occurs and. It's it's a real thing. It's it's not a made up thing. Um, but again, she already mentioned there's no electrical storm. So that weirded me out a little bit. So let's continue in the email here. If my mother hadn't been there and seen the same thing, I would think I was mistaken or confused about what I saw. She grew up in Illinois and there has been ball lightning before, but swears this was a different thing. There's a pole out in the front of the cabin where the phone and electrical line comes in, which is in the direction that the sphere flew towards. The whole area is composed of bedrock and magnetite, so the only reasonable explanation we've been able to come up with is some sort of, what is this, piezoelectric effect, which could possibly explain the light dimming afterwards. So right there, there's the story. Rennell attached some pictures to this message for us, which actually shows the cabin out there in the middle of the woods. And it also shows the vantage point from that upper level deck where the sunroom is overlooking the, uh, the dock down there by the lake. And I thought this was a really interesting story. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't even know what else to say about it besides the concept of the grandfather associating these lights that he had seen before in the past with fairies, with uh, being some kind of magical being uh, that exists out there in the woods by the lake. 
And I, I don't know, I wanted to look up the folklore. I was thinking about you guys when I was looking some of this stuff up. There is fair, like fae folklore within the United States. And I don't know a ton about it. I know that some of it originates from indigenous peoples that lived uh, on this land before, you know, the United States was ever a thing or ever a glint in the eye of some revolutionary. Um, and there's some really fascinating stuff that I've never heard of. And I think it might be worth a full episode to to go over some of the, I don't know, Faye in the USA. That sounds, sure. wow, I can't believe <laughs> I, love I just it. said that. Why? <laughs> that was brilliant. No, it's true. Though. I think of, you know, when I think of fairy folk, I think of Midsummer Night's Dream and, and more contemporarily, um, a lot of Neil Gaiman's work or Sandman in particular, there's a lot of, uh, fairies that play, um, serious roles in that, uh, work. And also in, um, Pan's Labyrinth, um, the fairies are kind of creepy and have like sharp, nasty teeth. I kind of was into mm. that depiction, but all of these obviously places not, uh, set in the United States. Well, mm. there's, there's a interesting aspect here <clears throat> just to interject for a second, uh, because what we see, it, it's similar to the evolution of abduction stories right where there were changelings uh there there were alleged uh hidden sentient groups that would take humans for one reason or another maybe to uh go bowling with them like in uh, the rip van winkle story or maybe to steal their children Mm. and then later with the evolution of ufos and aliens in the zeitgeist uh those stories remain the same but they just got new things mad libbed in so what to me is what what's fascinating about this is I love the point you're bringing up regarding uh, pre-European American folklore uh, or folklore on this continent because those stories and those sorts of beings exist in pretty much every culture and it's something that I think would be very interesting for those of us in the crowd today who consider themselves extremely skeptical. You have to ask yourself why was there never an entirely skeptical community that developed independently. But Mm. instead, there is a clear line of uh, a clear correlation. Virtually every community has created some sort of um, story or explanation or narrative or mythology about these events from, you know, fae-like creatures like brownies to elves to the translation across the world will often be something like the hidden folk. And it's mm. strange. It's strange like the littles. how common they are. Remember, remember the littles like, or the borrowers, the little uh, people that live in your walls and stuff. I always enjoyed those stories. Yes. And this is what I wanted to bring up there. I was reading about Cherokee legends, folklore from specifically the, the Cherokee tribe. Part of their mythology includes a race of immortal spirit people that feels very similar to fairies. Uh, I, I don't know how similar, at least according to some of the, the light reading I was doing on the subject. I think I think they're called Nunahi. Nunahi, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but they are, it's translated as the people who live anywhere or the people who live forever. And it, it's a completely different um, race of being. It's a, it's a completely different subset of being it's not a god it's not you know a human it's not a spirit like a like a nature spirit or anything like that um it's not a ghost it's 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 none of these things it's this other living intelligent creature that exists kind of like jinn almost very much so right like uh just created from some different material 
rather than clay or you know uh, like man was or a smoke smokeless fire like the jinn do they have any kind of um, ill intent associated with them in the folklore? I know often spirits like that are malevolent, or are they kind of neutral? I honestly don't know enough yet. I just started learning about these mythical creatures, um, and it does change. The way they're described does change depending on which region you're in, but right. the Appalachian Mountains, that's one of the main connective tissues for many of the stories, but there are also stories, a lot of them, surrounding fae-like creatures near the Great Lakes of the U.S. And this brings us back to uh, something fascinating about your experience, Rennell, when you mention piezoelectric, uh, the phenomenon of piezoelectricity. I think all of our our eyes lit up. Uh, Piezoelectricity, just to be clear for anyone, the quick and dirty uh, explanation of that is the idea that certain materials can create an electric charge when they have certain types of stress applied to them. Uh, so it is, it is, I think, a, a very reasonable explanation. Maybe it could explain something, that or optical illusions could explain something about what's going on with the Great Lakes. But as we said, these stories are very old. They're also universal. As um, longtime listeners know, I have uh, <clears throat> roots of a sort in in Appalachia, and I can confirm that these things to your question, Noel, are not, it's like the jinn are considered individuals, first and foremost. They might be Christian, they might be atheist, they might uh, follow Islam. The Nuhei are similar, or beings like that are similar in that they have uh, human relationships with them are often kind of defined as if-then. So they're supposed to be really friendly to the Cherokee and that folklore, but they're in general friendly to lost wanderers so overall they're very uh they're very appalachian in attitude mm. i would say they'll have nice. you over they'll have you over you yeah that's I mean? great there, there's a book i want to get our hands on called native american legends of the great lakes and the mississippi valley it's written by Catherine barry judson and it looks like there's a free version of it oh no it's just a preview but there's a version of it on archive.org. So I want to actually get a physical copy if possible. The only problem is the thing is published in yeah, 1914. We can find yeah. it. Uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Or if you got one, send it our way. Uh, or at least tell us where to find it. But yeah, the, I, I just want to say thanks Renell for sending that in. That was a great story. I, I, it sounds like you sold the cabin, I guess. So maybe you won't be able to experience this particular vantage again to see something down there. But who knows? That's uh, that area over there, uh, Gunflint. What was it? Gunflint Trail. It's right. It's on Lake Superior. It looks really fascinating. It's right at the edge of Canada and the United States, inside the United States. Really cool. So thanks so much. We'll be right back with another message from you. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was bought it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. 
freeze americano. Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And we have returned. We have not returned unaccompanied. Uh, We're bringing Amy with us on air. Amy, here's what you said. Amy wrote in to say, hi, my name is Amy, and the name can be used. About 10 years ago, when I was still kind of young, 
and had done some dumb stuff, a doctor came to me in the hospital room and asked if I would participate in a treatment that would stimulate my heart rate, among other things, while I was asleep. Of course, I said, yes, because who doesn't want the benefits of exercising while sleeping? Uh, Amy, you put in a question mark and two exclamation points, which I feel is appropriate in that situation. It's the only thing in my mind that would redeem sleep in general. That's me editorializing on with the story. Only on the morning of this treatment, says Amy, while wires were being secured to my forehead, did I realize that this was electroshock treatment. Mm. I thought of it as something from the 19th century and didn't even realize it was still a thing, but it sure was. And it was every bit as creepy as imagined. A small room full of rhythmically beeping machines, restraints, the dark of early dawn, the only time when the anesthesiologist was available for this, and the final command to, quote, count backward from ten. With tooth guard in place, eyes kept shut, and mask in place, then waking a couple of hours later in a different room with people asking you where you are and what year it is. I'm going to pause here for a second for you guys. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe post-surgery or something, where you woke up and someone has to give you like a cognitive evaluation? Thankfully, no, but uh, it, it terrifies me. I've never actually been put under, under. Uh, never had a surgery, an invasive surgery. I had a bad experience with <clears throat> with a then legal substance that gave me a really bad trip. And when I came to, I had to be reoriented to uh, all consciousness. It was bad. Yeah, to come back from being a part of uh, a particle of a interconnected universe that is only learning to know itself further and more intimately, and you had to get back to the flesh bag, right? Yeah, I was a pixel inside an ever-rotating grid, and I was trying to find my way to the center, but mm-hmm. I didn't understand what center was. It was bad. There is no center. You know what I center mean? Center definitely could not hold, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, shout out to Yates and Achebe. But the, uh, the, the reason I ask is because anybody who's been through this knows it's an enormously disconcerting uh, feeling, and... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say their name on air because this story perhaps does not paint them in the best light. But my favorite version of this is a, a friend of mine got into a pretty serious accident a number of years ago, car accident. And this is a guy who was kind of off the grid, kind of unplugged. He's the kind of guy who wouldn't have consented to go to a hospital if he were conscious. And <laughs> he got that, you know, that assessment, light, flashlight in your eyes, you know, let's check dilation, blah, blah, blah. And they asked him uh, who the president was, and he had no idea. And his family had to explain, like, look, he's a little weird. He didn't know before he got hit by a car. He's just not tuned in. So you have to be careful what kind of questions you ask. That's why people ask what year it is. It's something most people know. Back to Amy. Amy, you said, now about 10 years later, I'm fine, healthy, have gameful employment, a nice home, friends, and a good life where I can do whatever I want while listening to podcasts after work. I don't know whether this procedure contributed or not. There's a lot of controversy about it, I know, and even as a recipient of this treatment, I'm on the fence. I don't remember a lot of things it would seem like I'd remember. Most good, but some bad. And it's kind of spooky to be told about these events by friends and family with no recollection. I can't help but think that I just matured and chilled out, and that the ECT wasn't necessary at all. Still, others swear by it, 
Yet, even as a recipient, I wonder if it has any more basis than it did in the 19th century. Mm. This is this is a weird one. We were talking a little bit off air, um, and Amy, I, I think at least a few of us agree with that kind of mental image you have when you first hear electroshock therapy. Like, no, what, what does it make you think? Yeah, I mean, it makes me think of like, you know, bear, bite down on this spoon while we jack your brain with however many volts and you convulse wildly on the on the table. I also think people don't really remember this, I think, because it's traumatic. But that movie Return to Oz, um, which is very terrifying and uh, has, has so much nightmare fuel in it. Um, little Dorothy Gale beginning is in like a psychiatric facility, presumably because she won't stop going on about Oz and somewhere over the rainbow. And they're about to give her shock therapy when like there's a power outage or something and she escapes. But yeah, you think of it as being like a very uh, barbaric, you know, relic of kind of like the, the sand, the age of the sanitarium or whatever, you know? Um, but it is, you know, the Mayo Clinic has a page on it that kind of demystifies it. It is still done today under, you know, anesthetics and, you know, with much lower voltage. I'm certain not enough to make you spaz out on the table like that. But I can see exactly where the perceptions come from. Yeah. The possibility here, or at least if someone tells you the possibility who's like selling you this as a treatment or is it TDCS? Trans no TCDS transcranial yes. direct simulation. Direct if someone's like, simulation. Yeah, if someone's selling you that concept of like, look, we can we can pass electri- an electrical charge through your brain, and what it's going to do, it's going to be amazing. All these positive things, strengthening all these connections, making new connections. Maybe, dude, you're gonna. It's so great. And look, all you got to do is chill. It's all you got to do. Uh, it, it sounds amazing. Um, it also sounds really dangerous. Is what I would say. <laughs> so it's both, right? And and I guess it's just how much are you willing to risk? How much is science willing to risk if it just completely does damage to somebody? Or if it really does improve you, you're going to have to go through a lot of trials. And I huh. don't think I don't think there's been en- enough trials. Maybe I'm just not up on the research. Well, but, uh, it is it is approved by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Just like cereal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, so there you go. Electroconvulsive therapy, uh, as safe as what's that cereal? The only fruit, fruit loops, raisin bran. You like you monster. You like raisin, raisin bran. You like raisin. I, I like I like raisin bran crunch. Mm, okay, oh, that's okay. All right, I'll get it right. That. I feel bad. I feel like I. I just called uh, Mennonite Amish or something. No, I'm sorry. The, those nut clusters is what takes it to the next level. Regular old raisin bran. Mm-hmm. That's your grandpa's cereal right there. I'm sorry. No self-respecting millennial should be eating raisin bran. I'm like eating grape nuts. So good, though. I feel like it's your mouth. It's up to you what you put in it. That's I fair. got your back, bro. That's fair. But with that, with that being said, um, you're absolutely right, Amy. There, there is controversy behind this. And part of that controversy Part of that controversy is inseparable from the at times troubling history of this kind of therapy or this, I would even say, this kind of technique, because it wasn't always used in a way that would solidly be defended as therapy. And uh, longtime listeners, you know that I, I, of course, love any chance for us to talk about real life thinking caps, TMS, uh, TDCS. Uh, this, this stuff is fascinating. But like you said, Matt, there's there needs to be much more research done on it. Uh, and I say this as a guy who did mad science together 
uh, one of these uh, transcranial direct current simulation devices. Uh, and uh, thankfully, I don't think I hurt myself, but we'll huh. we'll have to see in a few years. Wait, Let was it like a see. was it like a metal colander with like wire leads attached to it from a car battery or something? Like how DIY are we talking here, Ben? Pretty MacGyver, to be honest with you. It's okay. um, the main reason I felt comfortable doing it. And Matt, you know all this is because I was. It was uh, these things were in a legal gray area for a long time, mm. and I kept trying to call companies and buy one of these things before endeavoring to build it myself. And there were all these, there were all these issues, which I understand the importance of ethics and human experimentation, but they, you could like, I would call places and they would say, Oh, okay. What, you know, what institution are you with? You know, what's the paperwork on your study? And like, I'm, <laughs> I'm with this podcast. But it's not really about that. This is just something I want to do. So the study is me. The sample size is one. I'll sign whatever you want to get rid of liability. But they had to be careful with that because even with very small amounts of current, right, even with lower levels of electricity, you are messing with probably the least understood organ in the human body, right? That's a very good point. We don't know how it works. We don't know everything about how it works when it's working the way it's supposed to. Uh, but we do know that uh, at times, historically, the use of electroconvulsive therapy, as you would call it today, uh, has been said to have negative impacts of one sort or another. Like, Amy, what you're describing is a kind of retrograde amnesia. Right. That's mm. one of the symptoms I think we all clocked. And according to the APA from a 2001 report, that's the American Psychiatric Association, uh, there is some retrograde amnesia. And in some patients, the recovery from this retrograde amnesia may be incomplete. They also claim that ECT can result in persistent or permanent memory loss. But uh, on the flip side, on the positive side, ECT has been used for cases of severe depression, like not not someone just saying I'm feeling down on Twitter. No, I mean, it's like people who are in danger of maybe self-harm or just are ab not able to function. It's certainly like a, a, a maybe not last resort, but it's definitely up there. Um, there's it's funny. I, I found a site uh, from UT Southwestern Medical Center that reads like a laundry list of like, this is why this is great. And it's like trying to demystify it. And it definitely has some good information. But the way it's listed out, it's clearly trying to sell you on this as a as a, as a treatment. Um, but it, it, they do use the word, uh, the, the phrase medically uh, triggered or medically controlled seizure. Um, so, you know, that is what's happening. Um, and while they might not, patients might not jerk around convulse wildly, you know, they, they do jerk somewhat and there are, you know, some involuntary movements. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very much a thing. And it's certainly been, it's probably come a long way, but has it though? It's like, I mean, how, it doesn't get much more basic than, okay, we're going to shoot some electricity into your brain. We've known how to generate varying degrees of electricity for a long time. I wonder what specifically is different other than the fact that they're putting you to sleep. It's, yeah, it's not a bad question. So a big part of it is the location. Like what, what section of the brain is receiving this stimulation? Uh, and then also another thing, because I, uh, I clocked Southwestern as well. Uh, another thing uh, that has evolved 
that's similar to ECT is MST, where which is the short for magnetic seizure therapy. You can see why doctors probably want to call this MST instead of <laughs> magnets, dude. Magnets, yeah. magnets. You know how do they work? Someone figured it out. But uh, this, these treatments can be important. They can have measurable positive impact. But we have to remember again, nothing occurs in a vacuum. And the entire time that people were looking into the use of ECT. Uh, as, a, as a treatment for depression in specific, we have to remember there was an entirely different field of experts that were researching antidepressants. And as antidepressants evolved, uh, they became a, an increasingly viable alternative. Profitable. And profitable. Actually, yeah, let's flip that. You're right. They became an increasingly profitable and then viable alternative to treatments for depression. With this in mind, when we think about these kind of experiments, first, we have to be really clear that we're not doctors. This is not medical advice. But when you are intentionally triggering a seizure in the brain, which is what is happening with this therapy, the entire point of it is to cause changes in brain chemistry that can reverse symptoms of certain medical conditions. And that last clause of what I just said, cause changes in brain chemistry that can reverse symptoms of certain mental conditions. The question is, would you do, would you shock yourself in an attempt at wellness if you could simply take a pill? Uh, also on the profit motive, ECT treatment is recommended at, in like reps of 10 to 15, like 10 right. to 15 sessions. I'm sure those sessions aren't cheap. Mm -hmm. And uh, antidepressants, are something you have to take on a regular basis. You don't get, you're not, you know, you don't get 15 pills of Lexapro and then you're better forever. No, right? it's, it's, it's true. I, I got to say that in, in hearing you describe that, Ben, just now, it makes me think of like, this is sort of the uh, psychiatric equivalent of like banging the side of the TV when it's like glitching out, you know, in the hopes that you're banging will trigger the right thing among all the other wrong things that it could also trigger. And if you do it enough times, maybe you'll get it to where the picture is like, you know, tracking correctly again. Because um, it sure seems like a blunt instrument type, you know, process to me. Yeah, yeah. but in, in this case, you're, it's, I don't know with a TV. It's like you're um, adding an additional electrical plug to your television besides okay. the primary one. And then you plug that one in too, just to see what happens if a little extra electricity just, just gets in there. Just for a second. You know what I mean? Like, how how did you sell that idea in the early days? You're just like, you know what's amazing? Electricity. I'm just saying, what are you guys doing this weekend? Let's. You've seen all these famous experiments where we, you know, electrocute a elephant until it dies. Mm -hmm. You've seen them. Hey, let's try it on some humans. How about just, you? Just for a second. Just, just for like a second. I can't emphasize how much I want that recap to really have somebody who's saying just for a second over and over again like right as they're right as they're plugging the person in they're like okay okay one sec one sec just for just, what 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 oh yeah yeah we lost them uh so that's like that's why you know to your point it is intentionally causing seizures and the a lot of the controversy around it is uh, whether this is responsible use, whether the benefits uh, outweigh the possible risk 
And that historical image just doesn't look good because in the earlier days, patients slash victims were not given anesthetics. Uh, so they were actively seizing, if you can see me shaking around. And I'm not making light of this. This could result in fractured bones, memory loss, a rogues gallery of other potentially harmful side effects. But right now, it might surprise some folks to know that ECT can be recommended because uh, some people, for one reason or another, cannot take uh, an antidepressant. Mm. It's, it's actually, this surprised me, might surprise you too, Amy, uh, ECT has been specifically recommended for pregnant patients because, you know, you can't, you have to be very careful with what you ingest, right, if you're expecting, because it will affect the child. Yeah, but your brain is... Right. Is making all of those involuntary yeah. processes happen. <laughs> I, that's the thing. That's like, uh, uh, I would recommend getting a second opinion. Does amniotic fluid conduct electricity? Uh, one would think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I know they're different regions, but still. Really? That just seems way off. And then also for maybe older adults who cannot tolerate certain side effects of drugs. Like hmm. what, what we're saying is, Right now, the establishment has considers ECT uh, controversial, but they believe it does have efficacy in certain situations. Uh, this is a topic that's endlessly fascinating on a personal level, I think, to a lot of us. Uh, we may end up diving into this in the future in a full episode, but for now, what we would say is... Uh, Amy, first off, uh, congratulations. Thank you for writing this fantastic letter and so glad to hear uh, that you are doing well. Uh, we want to make sure anybody who's hearing this who has considered treatments like these uh, or considered shooting electricity into your brain, take it from me, folks. I know it sounds really cool. I am on board with it in the realest way. I am 10 toes down on this, but learn from my mistakes. Don't MacGyver stuff. You can, you can buy those kits if you're really interested now. I think the laws have loosened a little bit. But if you are messing with forces, you don't really understand, and no one really understands the human brain, get an expert. Get an expert to help you through that process and advise you on whether or not you need to consider it in the first place. They still use those big, like, suction cup things that go on your temples, or have they advanced past that? I've seen, seen ones that are more netting. They kind ah, of are expandable ooh, and ooh. it kind of fits on your brain, on your head, and the little skull ears. I just picture the torture scene in Princess Bride. Also true. <laughs> you guys remember that? Uh-huh. Yeah, it didn't Where work he, out so well, right? Well, it's he was the mostly one, dead. It's the machine that's supposed to, like, take a year off his life with every twist of the, the but, you know, Yeah, crank. by making him listen to water or something. It was weird. It wasn't clear how that machine actually worked, but you're right. He did have some electrode type things on his on his his noggin there. What a good story. So we ended we ended on that note, but please if you um if you have experience with this as a positive or negative, uh we would love to hear from you. As always, you can uh drop us a line directly. We'll tell you how to do that again at the end of the show, but for now, let's take a break for a word from our sponsor uh who I don't think will be a TDCS device, but if so, let the chips fall as they will. We'll be back. And here's more from Kenmore Microwaves. Don't take them apart like Ben did. <laughs> Should have never told you that story. 
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man, Marie's a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return, your time won't, and we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <gasps> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of... dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. 
Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, and we're back. And uh, we're going to wrap today's uh, episode up with kind of a fun one. Uh, it's a callback to a previous fun email we got uh, about haunted, uh, in, relating to our haunted objects episode. We, I, I think y'all will remember this, especially if you're on the uh, Here's Where It Gets Crazy Facebook group, because I believe uh, a, a really clever listener made a like movie poster about the blue ball. Uh, it was like a horror movie kind of poster situation. Yeah. I believe Eric it had a tag. Eric, thanks, Ben. You're the best with, with remembering names. I remembered the piece and I loved it. Uh, what, what was the tagline? It was like, it's time to play with your balls or something like that. Mm-hmm. Poetry. It, I, it was good. It was, and we, I'm sure one of us actually said that because we're children, but um, that was a fun one because it was definitely like, it had that, are you afraid of the dark kind of vibe where it's kind of innocuous and a little bit, you know, corny, but then it does kind of get you in the end where, and then of course it came for one last appearance. Um, and then, you know, when you hear stories like that about haunted objects or uh, something that seemed just too crazy to be coincidence, you usually find a way to justify it uh, or explain it away with a coincidence or Matt, I believe your um, idea was that it was uh, a pack of these balls that had been purchased in one go and they just kind of, you know, found their way back into, you know, circulation, I guess. Even after one of them was thrown away, there was another one lurking in a hamper somewhere, and it just ends up rolling along like balls do. Um, But uh, a listener named Cassandra wrote in with an alternate theory um, that brings up a concept that I was not aware of, um, but it definitely is present in plenty of, like, pop culture and stuff. Uh, Something called resist... Oh, boy. Resistentialism. Um, The long version of it being counter phenomenological resistentialism. We'll get to what that is in a minute, but here's the email. Uh, Greetings, Ben, Matt, and Noel. While you recounted the story of a certain potentially haunted object and discussed your theories of what could have been causing this ball to seemingly keep reappearing, you also posed the question as to what the ball's intentions may have been. Uh, Did it want to play, or was it intent on tripping someone? This brought to mind a term I learned several years ago. Here it is again. See if I can do it. Counter phenomenological resistentialism or just resistentialism. It refers to the possibility or belief that inanimate objects have minds of their own and innately dislike people. Um, Yeah, which I I just love. Uh, I no longer have the book I read about this. And I think it was called uh, Weird, Scary and Unusual Stories and Facts. But as I recall, uh, it gave examples as to what else this phenomenon might explain, including someone, quote, losing their keys been there uh a bouncy ball bouncing out of control and the continuous disappearance of spoons from a certain institution or hospital um i believe it said there was actually a study done at the institution tracking its mysterious and repetitious decline in utensils this is true we're gonna get to that uh while i'm not exactly a believer in counter phenomenological resistentialism myself i find it an interesting idea and a fun term i thought you might like to know if you didn't already Thank you for all the work and effort you do on the excellent show and for keeping us informed on so many topics they would rather we be kept in the dark about. Cassandra. And then she says to feel free to use her name. Um, so we did, because I like the name Cassandra a lot. Ben, you're familiar yeah. with this concept. Yeah. Um, and yeah. They uh, being I, spoons, by the way. The spoons. Exactly. So socks, you kitchen utensils, you know, T-shirts, uh, so many little things like that that I just feel like everyone has this shared experience of constantly being you know d- diminishing supply of these things over time um 
easy to explain away to just, well, they're not that big a deal. Spoons, you, you might just take one with you for a, a picnic and leave it. No one really cares that much. But I still think it's a little bit ridiculous to the degree to which I lose utensils. Ben, what was your experience with this concept and what do you associate it with? Uh, yeah. So first, we have to consider that to many people, this idea is a thought experiment or a, a little bit purposely tongue in cheek. You know what I mean? But it, it sure. builds on <clears throat> just like uh, Rennell's earlier story about uh, folklore and fae in the U.S. It, the idea of this concept, resistentialism, builds on the very old concepts that are that are kind of like animism. The idea that objects uh, like humans may have some sort of soul or sentience or their own background palette of motivations and fears and desires. Uh, this is a, a, a very, very old concept. It's one of, I would argue, it is one of the first things humans did that's kind of like a religion, you know, and it's still with us today. Like a lot of people don't think of this as um, a religious act, but do you guys name your stuff? We all know someone who names a car, right? Sure, yeah. And so animism is the belief that there are, uh, there's a multitude, an innumerable multitude of spiritual beings somehow concerned with human affairs. And just like the Fae, they can hurt you, they can harm you, and you can't always trust them to be consistent in that regard. So the, the, the big difference here, I think is fascinating, Cassandra, is that... Uh, in the idea that that we're positing, resistentialism, this idea is like a very pessimistic version of object-based animism. Right. It makes me think of like a lot of stuff from, you know, literature and, and pop culture, like Winnie the Pooh, or for example, like the idea that toys have a life, you know, or the Velveteen Rabbit. Um, there is another story I remember very distinctly from when I was a kid that was clearly what Toy Story was based on. I can't remember what it was called. But it was about the old school toy being supplanted by the new shiny toy um, that's like a spaceman or, or like a acrobat or something like that. I'm sure it's a trope that has been repeated throughout history because it, it we have this innate need or desire anyway to anthropomorphize animals and, and objects and the idea that things have personality. But I, I'm with you, Ben, that it is more of a thought experiment. I don't think anyone's actually saying your spoons are dematerializing and showing up on another planet or something. Oh, right? Matt's got one. Matt's got one. I'm just going to put this out there. Oh, boy. One of the most intelligent people that I've ever met and interesting, talented, was a former boss of, uh, of ours. And she put into our heads, my head, the concept, whether she was being serious or not, the concept that if I treated my computer and my electronics well, if I talked to them, if I comforted them when they mm -hmm. were having an issue, they would perform better and they would uh, not have so many issues with their software. If I was kind to them, if I put them away gently, if I made sure they were always clean. <laughs> uh, and I swear to you, I, I don't, I will not say that I fully believe this, but I will say that I somehow in doing these little rituals of making sure my machine was always taken care of well, 
I felt like things were going better with me and my computer but, as a relationship, you know? But Matt, doesn't that also mean that you, like, back when you had to do this, made sure to always defrag your hard drive and, like, don't keep your desktop too cluttered because you have this certain respect that you bring to the situation that maybe feels like a ritual to you, but it also uh, translates to functional acts of maintenance that you're doing that some people might just let go because the biggest thing that causes computers to slow down is when people don't realize their hard drives are almost completely full and then they uh, start to like, you know, log jam the whole system. So I think it was a good uh, piece of advice because I think it just, you, you treated it with respect and you um, gave it its due and you, you know, oiled it when it needed to be oiled. I'm, I'm now changing it to a tin man kind of no, situation. It's, but. Uh, it's true. Noel. Uh, we, Matt and I had the same boss, uh, Roxanne, if you're listening, you're amazing. Awesome. And, uh, and she really believed it, Matt, you know, she told both of us the same thing. And uh, I've, I've done it before too, but it, it's, it's almost, you could argue, you know, like, Noel, I think you raise a very good point. If you feel like you have a personal relationship with a thing, you are more likely to uh, treat it with empathy and do like picture it liking stuff you do. That's also another way to <laughs> during the pandemic. I think we all experienced a little bit more anthropomorphization than we had maybe bargained for yeah because right. all of a sudden our computer has the faces of all of our disembodied friends on it mm. and it's literally the only contact we have with like humanity yeah well like look at the like here's another one here's another one for people even you know we're talking to the skeptics here right uh and i'm i'm with you guys like i matt got in my head too i also talk to objects and i name them you know i think you only have to worry if they start talking back but uh, I even like, then it's it is kind of comforting. It is. It is. You know what I mean? Someone's when, talking to me. <laughs> right. When my machete's like, whoa, you're getting out there. Then I'm like, uh, yeah, good call, Mark. But uh, so, but the uh, Marcus, uh, but the the thing I noticed and I, I want to hear from our, our friends listening today, animate or inanimate objects. Uh, I noticed that I was anthropomorphizing a ton of stuff in my kitchen. And I, I think this is universal. I realized I have one spoon that I think of as like the bad spoon. And I can't I explain it. I'm just like, it knows what it did. It's up to something. It's the bad spoon. I haven't thrown it away. I don't, I'm, at, I'm at an impasse. That's Definitely don't throw it away. That's the worst thing you could do. You don't want to put that bad energy out into the world, man, because then it's on you. Um, but it's so funny, like the whole you're, you're, you're being nice to your computer thing. Plants are living things, but I still think of them kind of as inanimate objects, right? A lot of people talk to plants and they say that that makes them oh, grow better. Watch out. Doc and I both, I think, have strong feelings on this. I, I, I do believe that plants will tend to um, will tend to have a better life. If if you're talking to them and maybe it's just like what you're saying, Noel. maybe it's because you're interacting on that level, you're more likely to water it. You're more mm -hmm. likely to be aware you're of health aware. conditions in the plant, but also, you know, maybe they're just lonely. It's not how like long they can do you, go places. <laughs> how long does one of these conversations last is what I want to know. Like, is, is this is this sufficient for me to just say, hey, buddy, looking good. Hey, hey. no comment is fine, Ben. <laughs> right. Okay. No, that's me for my purposes. How do I get started talking to plants? That's my question. Because I really, I, I'm not joking when I say yeah. I really do want to be a good plant dad, and I've done pretty well. Mm. But like, I sometimes overwater them, and that is uh, just as bad as underwatering them. It just it sort of speaks to my character. Sometimes I just like 
I just insist upon myself. I just need to really nurture things until they just like crush them. You know, uh, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, how do I get started with uh, my, my plant uh, interaction? Mm, well, uh, I don't know, Matt. Sounds like we're doing a little relationship advice. All right. So this is what we're going to do, Noel. We're going to set up a tiny mirror near the plant and you're going to make eye contact with yourself and you're going to hold a little therapy session, except for instead of referring to you as you or me or Noel, you're just, you're just, <laughs> you're just going to talk to the plant and plant's name is going to be Sam. And Sam. you're going to say, yeah, uh, that the, the plant is your father and you're going to, uh, so you will be the son of Sam. But I hate my father. I mean, will, I mean, I have to punch the, the plant. The plant and, will talk back to you. Okay. Give you very specific instructions. I don't really and, hate my father. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I love this. I love this idea. I do have a plant named Nigel uh, that I have named. So I'm I'm on my way um, with this whole idea. But but um, the resist res, resistentialism is like you said, Ben, the kind of very cranky, pessimistic uh, alter ego of this idea of talking to your plants and they'll be nice to you, or right. talking to your computer and it'll you know not break. Because um, this posits that objects of all kinds, hate us and want to do us harm, or at the very least inconvenience us by disappearing spontaneously. Well, because we, we get, use them all the time. Yeah, we're just users. And what do they we take get? and we take? But also we're we're look how look how the human species treats itself, you know? Um it treats objects in order of magnitude worse. We we are discussing this um to the utmost of our ability, Cassandra, but I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't point out the etymology of this term, when we say it's a thought experiment, when we say it's a little tongue in cheek, it was invented or coined by a humorist named Paul Jennings. It's a British writer. It's kind of like um, a, a Louis Grizzard of his day, for anybody who remembers Louis Grizzard. Um, or, oh, what's that other guy? He's got a sister. I'm so bad at this. Oh, he's Sedaris? Got- yeah. Yes. Yeah, there you go. David. Yeah, nice, nice one. Okay, I was the guy who went into Blockbuster. I was like, yeah, I'm looking for that movie. There's music in it. I you think. know that guy with the face mm-hmm. and the good oh, hair. Yeah. The guy High with fidelity. the good hair. Oh. Yeah, I fidelity. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Matt, you really nailed it. How Is are that, you not that, the manager of this? John Cusack that have a, did have a nice face and nice hair. Um, I, I, I alluded to it, but didn't mention it. And we, we're running long. I just want to just let everyone know there was a study that looked at teaspoons specifically. I believe in Melbourne, Australia, at a research institute, a facility, and they like. They gave them a half-life score, these teaspoons, depending on where they originated, whether it was in a common area or an area that was more like devoted to a particular uh, branch of of research. Um, And I think you guys should just go look into that yourselves. This would be some good supplemental reading because we I think we've we've set our piece. Um, The takeaway is that, yeah, a lot of teaspoons disappear. No one copped in the office to fully removing the teaspoons from the building. Uh, So the jury is out as to what happened. There were a few errant teaspoons that were found on desktops and, you know, uh, squirreled away somewhere, maybe some like hoarders or something. But there were an ungodly amount of teaspoons that went missing. And when they applied that statistic to like the larger, you know, United Kingdom, uh, it was staggering number. It was, you know, millions and millions of teaspoons going missing each year. Mm. You know, I bet it was. I bet it was a capuchin in the in one of the ventilation shafts. Yeah. You've, you've seen it before. I've seen it before. Yeah, I think yeah. everybody has. Isn't that yeah. the ending to a 
Sherlock Holmes story or something where it was a monkey with a razor the whole time stealing all the teaspoons. It's almost always. I think I, it was a reference to community. I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Annie's, you know, that's the name of the monkey. <laughs> oh yeah, I that's right. About that. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the um, I I am I am on board. You know, Noel, I'm fascinated by studies like this. Uh, also, I am going to profile, and I feel like my spoon is responsible. I like. It is the subject of a horror movie. Bad spoon, right? It's quiet yep. in the kitchen. Let's do it. Too oh, quiet. It's, it's like it's like the bad seed. Yes, now, yeah, but yeah. the bad the bad spoon. And I, just just in case anyone wants to Google it and look a little mm-hmm. further, the study was done at a place called BMJ. I'm, this is not helping me. I need I need what the B and the M and the J actually stand for. The British Medical Journal. That's it. The British Medical Journal, which claims on its website anyway to be the leading medical research news education. Uh, opinion and uh, some other stuff uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, no, I literally just said British Medical Journal off the top of my head. I'm sorry, dude. I I, I didn't know that was real. Okay. Well, uh, it was super helpful, Matt, because it totally is real. Uh, and as I was saying before, they fancy themselves to be uh, they they have quite a high opinion of themselves, and they are ranked pretty highly by the journal. What ranks journals? So uh, uh, yes. good on them. The Journal of uh, Journalistic Hierarchies. Exactly. You know the yeah. one. Yeah, but, I love uh, it. <laughs> uh, I think this is a great place to leave off today. This was a fun, mm-hmm. like you said, Ben, thought experiment to go through. But uh, thanks, Cassandra, for the, the email. And um, I love the concept. It's going to give me some interesting dreams tonight, I think. And if you are interested in reading more Toy Story-esque adventures, highly recommend the comic book series, The Stuff of Legend. It's awesome. I have no notes on it. Just check it out. Let us know what you think. Also, let me know when they finally sew it up. I've got to stop falling in love with comic book series that have not ended. It is the worst. Uh, But but while we're, I know, Black Monday murders. Sorry, man. But while we're waiting for those to come out, we cannot wait to hear from you. Uh, Give us something else to read. While, while we're waiting for Black Monday Murders, The Stuff of Legend, Uber Invasion, and all those other great reads to finally finish their stories. Cassandra, Amy, Rennell, everybody who has wrote in and called, as always, thank you for tuning in. We cannot wait to hear from you. Let us know your thoughts on your fellow listeners' stories. Uh, we'd love your firsthand accounts of folklore. We'd love your uh, firsthand experiences with ECT. And we'd love to know if you have a piece of cutlery that resents you. We're easy to find online. It can even be spoonlery. Whatever you want spoonlery, it to be. Spoonlery, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. we, uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we're Conspiracy Stuff. We are Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram. Uh, ben, how do you feel about Nightwing? Nightwing? Yeah. Are we talking comics, Matt? We're talking comics and Nightwing. Oh, yeah. I, I, I dug it. Just for a second, I was thinking of Shadowhawk, which mm-hmm. is a different one. Uh, but Nightwing used to be Robin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on Nightwing? Doesn't he use like a billy club or something? He seems like a fascist to me. I don't know. <laughs> he has right. like kind of a like a like a pole that he whacks people. Maybe I'm just thinking of the word nightstick. No, um, you're right. He has he has batons. He does um, have batons. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh I will be completely honest. Not everybody agrees with me on this. Um I have a hard time with some characters like that uh, because they are they are not super powered, right? He doesn't have the superpower of billions of dollars like Bruce Wayne does. Uh, he's a human who trains very hard. 
as a work ethic and an ideology. Uh, and I'm trying not to ding on it, but at some point in, in some comics, I've been reading them and I've been thinking, okay, you're all just people, though. <laughs> well, that maybe that's what's so inspiring about Nightwing, man. He's just a person that grew up with a family in the circus and he's got all these skills and now he's got to, you know, do better for his family. Right, okay. What brings it to what brings Nightwing to your mind? Oh, nothing. It's a conversation for another time. Quick one before we go. How do you feel about Darkwing Duck? Oh, <sighs> let's Come get on. dangerous. You guys are making me sound like a jerk. I was watching him. and I was like, you're a you know, like, do you have super duck powers? I was trying to figure out what his powers were. He has a grappling hook of some sort. Yeah, you know? yeah. Is, I mean, isn't he a millionaire? Doesn't he play like, isn't his alter ego like a, a rich guy? I can't Oh, remember. you're right. Is it Scrooge in disguise? No, it's dark. I forget what is it. Mallard? Some duck Ooh. joke. Is, right. Sher, is Sher Khan the bad guy in that one? I believe he is at some point, but there's a lot of different the ones. tiger? Yeah. yeah. Sher Khan's the business. I get it. I get where he's coming from. Oh, man, what is ducks? this? Where, I can't believe I got it right. Ended up. I can't believe I got it right. His name is Drake Mallard, oh. and he is uh, presumably very wealthy. Let's wouldn't see. that be, though, like, wouldn't that be, like, Jeff Bezos having the last name Person? Totally would be. <laughs> Jeff Person. Very on the nose. Hello, I am Jeff Person. Mark, uh, <laughs> Mark Personberg. Okay, yeah. Yeah, um, we got to stop this. We got an um, email address or something, right? Oh, and uh, <laughs> Doc says, or Jeff Douchebag. <laughs> oh, thanks, Would, Alexa. Wouldn't back me up on the plant conversation, Doc. But came in hard on some on some uh, on some Jeff roasting. <laughs> uh, so send your best Jeff Bezos roast uh, to us, where Matt mentioned before. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the rest. If you do not care for social media, uh, then we totally get it. Uh, go ahead and give us a call directly. We have a phone number. That's right. You can reach us at one eight three three stdwytk Leave a message at the sound of Ben's dulcet tones. Three minutes is the time you shall have to tell your tale. Uh, let us know if it's okay to use your name on the air, and we likely will include it in one of our weekly listener mail episodes, uh, which we just wrapped one. So like that. It'll be like like what we just did. So make it good. Yeah. Also, remember to find us on YouTube where we are conspiracy stuff pretty easy also leave a review on apple Podcasts or wherever you listen that would be great i'm not saying give us five stars i'm saying that helps it would be cool we'd love it but you rate us however you want to rate us five stars okay so <laughs> um if you don't want to do any of that stuff you don't want to call you don't want to find us on social you don't want to rate us you can always still reach us via our old-fashioned email address we are bad spoon at iheartradio.com Kidding conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Bad spoon. I'm the Duh. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. 
Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts as important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.